Hello and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. After you finish this episode, make sure you also go back and check out Friday morning's Instant Reek reaction episode with Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, where he and I gave our immediate reaction to the Pistons trade deadline moves. We will also be bringing on Keith Smith for an entire NBA trade deadline recap on Wednesday morning, and we will be dropping some major news for the Motor City Hoops podcast at the beginning of that episode. Trust me, you do not want to miss that. But let's get to this episode, and we have the pleasure yet again to be joined by an amazing basketball mind, someone that has joined the podcast a few times now, Pistons beat writer for The Athletic, James Edwards III. James, welcome back to Motor City Hoops, and thank you for joining us. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Thank you for the uh, the kind intro. I'm not sure everybody would agree with you, but I, I appreciate you uh, saying it on your pod. And I, I've heard about the news. Congratulations. I'm excited for you guys to announce it. Obviously, I won't say much more than that, but uh, I'm excited. Thank you. Yes, yes. James is one of a handful of people. Laz actually played it off whenever we – Laz knows. And I he figured played he it knew. Off. Yeah, yeah, he played it off like he didn't, which I appreciated. Um, I, I almost like called him out, like Laz, you know, like you don't have to act <laughs> like you don't, because. But he played it. He played it well. But thank you, James. I, I did know that uh, you and I hadn't talked about it, but um, I, I did know that that you knew about it. So thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, of course. Um, you almost slipped up right there. Uh, I, I like that you almost, caught yourself. Yeah, I, I almost slipped up. <laughs> people are going to be, hopefully people don't rewind this too many times and like try to pick up, maybe a little uh, suspense now. But yeah. um, I wanted to have James on for this episode because we've had a couple days now to digest all the news from the trade deadline. I even dropped my Marvin Bagley the third breakdown on Detroit Bad Boys, which should be out by the time you listen to this podcast. So let's just start there, James. I know there's two major nuggets to the Pistons trade deadline, but let's start with the trade that did happen. Marvin Bagley III, real quick, Sacramento gets DiVincenzo, Lyles, Jackson. Milwaukee gets Serge Ibaka and two second-rounders from Detroit. The Clippers, Rodney Hood, Semi-Ogile, and of course Detroit with Marvin Bagley III. Just real quick, overall thoughts on Marvin Bagley III to the Pistons. Yeah, um, something is if, if you follow me at the athletic, I, I kind of hinted at was brewing for a little bit. Uh, so not surprised that it happened in, in the final hour or I guess final few hours. Uh, Bagley is a guy that the organization kind of had on their wish list when it comes to reclamation projects. Talented as all hell offensively, um, can score at the rim, I think shot 70 percent um, throughout his career. Uh, I would say a, a new age version, uh, a more athletic version of Greg Monroe in a sense. Uh, both lefties, both better with around the basket. Uh, but Bagley, of course, has the athleticism that Greg Monroe is just not given out of uh, out of birth. But you see some similarities there. And a new age Greg Monroe is kind of how I I see Marvin Bagley. Uh, defensively, he's a four. You don't want him to be the anchor of your defense. You kind of want him to to to, ha- to be the help side defender uh, to use his length and his athleticism to to disrupt shots and kind of similar what you see Jeremy do. Uh, but maybe on a on a on a higher level, just given that Marvin is more of a natural forward, or I'm sorry, more of a natural big. Uh, yeah, I think he fills a hole on the Pistons roster, which is athleticism. Um, we'll see if the 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 new situation helps him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would disagree that. I mean, he has three seasons averaging 14 points a game. The the, the kid can score, so um, the Pistons need some offense, and it was a, it was a low risk gamble uh, at the end of the day. Uh, Trey and Josh obviously weren't part of the future and Marvin has a 
uh, audition here to to prove that he is and um yeah I, I, I like the trade a lot for Detroit yeah, and I, I want to get back to and talk about the defense in just a second, but let's talk about what he does best. Just Let's get into the weeds just a little bit offensively. I've watched the film. I truly do, and I know this is a dro- joke about Dwayne Casey and the Pistons offense and all that, sticking guys in the corner, but like they truly did this with with Marvin Bagley III in Sacramento, and and a little bit based on personnel because he was always playing with like another big who wasn't necessarily a floor spacer. But he does have some per- vertical pop, and I don't know, James, like I, I think – I think he's a really good scorer 15 feet and in. Like, I think there's a really good skill level. Like, I know he doesn't have a very good right hand, but lefties just find a way, it seems like. Even though people know they're left-handed and are going to go to it, they find a way as they grow up to always get to that left hand. Like, do you really buy into the offensive game, at least just scoring-wise? Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, like you said, Bryce is somebody who's grown up playing, like, even though if you know a guy's left-handed, you're just naturally used to guarding righties. And it's just – it takes a little bit of adjusting when you're in the heat of a game. So there's always a benefit to, to have being a left-handed player. Um, but in terms of Bagley, like, yeah, I mean, he has the size and ability, the athleticism to finish over guys. He has the craft to get to the rim. I think he has a good back-to-the-basket game. I think he can face up. Um, he's got some some good foot speed offensively. Yeah, he's a scorer. That's why he was drafted. He he possessed tools that really kind of looked like uh, at some point if all went well, he could be an elite scorer at the four spot. Um, the shooting hasn't come along, but his shot's not broken. Um, so he could develop into that as well. Uh, but I think right now I, I think you're comfortable with him playing his back to the basket and facing up and doing short rolls and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. And I think he's a really high level offensive rebounder as well with a good motor yep. and obviously the athletic, you know, kind of vertical pop that he has. Let's go to the defensive end because I, I watched it a lot. That was the preconceived conceived notions about it. You mentioned him playing the four, not the five. I think I agree with that because I don't think he protects the rim particularly well. He can't anchor the defense. But I want to, I just want to say this. Like, I think he is invested on that end. This may sound like a contradiction. He's just not very good. Like, I think his awareness, like, he can't survey the entire floor and see what's going on. Like, I have a kid like this on my high school team. He wants to be good on defense, but he literally can't process it all while it's going on. So then it looks like he's not playing hard. What have you heard? What have you seen? What do you know about him on the defensive end? Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, I think it's similar to to Hami. I think Hami's engaged. And he tries hard, but there's just times where it's come to the processing part that makes it look like, oh, like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, yeah, he might not know what he's doing, but he's it's not that he's not trying. It's just the processing. Not everybody processes things at the at the same speed. And I think that's the same thing for Bagley. I think he doesn't necessarily survey the floor and and anticipate well uh, when it comes to multiple actions and, and keeping that in front of him. But I do think he there is something there when it comes to help side defense and when somebody's uh, an attacker is being a little bit more direct, I think Bagley can be effective in, in coming over to help. Um, he obviously has great length and he can get a defensive rebound and go. Uh, I think there are things to like there, but I agree. Like it's not that he's not, I think there are times he wasn't engaged, but I might chalk that up more to the situation and uh, just kind of, uh, the, uh, to beat a dead horse, like it, it was clear that there was there was not uh, mutual love between Sacramento and Marvin Bagley for a while there. Uh, so I would I would chalk up the lack of engagement at times to that. But I think, like you said, Bryce, there are times he's shown to be engaged. It's just the processing part. 
Yeah, and we've talked about this before. Earlier in the season when you came on the podcast and the Pistons were struggling mightily offensively and we felt like it was affecting their defense. And it's the same thing for individual players. We talked about this, you know, whenever, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I get a chat with you at times um, about the Pistons, you know, throughout the week or after games. And we've talked about this with Isaiah Stewart. Like, let him touch the ball every once in a while and that's going to help a player's activity increase. And so, again, not to beat the dead horse, but there was definitely some of that with Bagley and Sacramento. Sacramento. But speaking of Stewart, what is his fit? What is Bagley the third's fit with the current Pistons bigs? I know people have talked about, is he going to start? Is he not? Can he play with Stewart? Do you know, does he better with Olenek? What, where do you see him kind of fitting into the lineup? Yeah, I, I think, and we'll get to this a little bit more just based on our um, conversation pre-recording, but yeah, he's going to come off the bench. There is uh, a financial benefit in, her, in him not reaching 2,000 minutes or starting 41 games. Um, Jeremy Grant is still on the roster. Like I said, Marvin Bagley is not a five. Um, Isaiah is more of a five, even if he's undersized defensively, he's more of a five. Uh, he's just going to, yeah, he's going to come off the bench. He's going to fill, I think the Lyles role, um, in terms of just being maybe, uh, we'll see if it's better, but a focal point of the, the offense, um, and being able to have the freedom to be aggressive and to, to go get his own shot. Uh, I think they're going to give him that freedom, but yeah, I don't, he's not going to start unless there's an injury or something. And then I want to ask about the contract because you've mentioned this in your article, you know, are they going to extend him? What, what is the plan or, or what are you hearing is the plan for him in the offseason? Because even though the numbers you brought up, you know, affects the qualifying offer number, the cap hold, I believe Rod, and you probably tweeted this out as well, still stays at $28 million no matter what the qualifying offer ends up being. So they, the Pistons can't go into the summer, into the offseason with that cap hold on Marvin Bagley III. I, I, I don't think anyway. So what do you think? How, do, how does this get worked out assuming he plays – you know, not crazy good or crazy bad, but kind of what real expectation should be. Yeah, I'm not a cap expert, but I believe if they're able to get him for, I think if they get him for under the qualifying offer, the cap hit goes away. I think the cap hit is only there if he's signed using like the qualifying offer. I could be mistaken on that. Don't quote me on that. Um, I think the goal is to get him for as cheap as possible. And if there is a situation, unless he like completely outperforms or um, completely shows that he's Marvin Bagley, the number two pick of of 2018, I think they're going to try to get him for as low a price as possible and and get him under team control for at at minimum two years. I I think they're going to try for three. Okay, and so one last thing, and then we, I want to move to Jeremy Grant. Obviously, we need to talk about that. But John Hollinger from The Athletic, uh, you know, not to like stir the pot any, but he put Detroit in the what are we doing here for his article, kind of recapping the trade. And his point of view was this was not a trade they needed to make. They could have just signed him in the offseason. You know, just kind of looking, you know, reading between the lines doesn't seem to think be very high on Bagley the third at all. Do you think that's maybe been could have been a better approach from the Pistons? Just let Bagley hit restricted free agency from the Kings and go sign him in the offseason? Or do you like that they went ahead and made this move now? Love John. Uh, great guy. I don't agree with this. Uh, I think I think his beef was giving up the second round picks, which neither one were the Pistons. They were from other teams, one of which was Sacramento's that they got in the Corey that the Pistons got in the Corey Joseph trade. So they just sent that one back. Um so like the second round picks aren't that big of a deal to me. 
uh, but obviously he was in the front office and maybe has a different appreciation for second round picks. Um, I would also say when you have interest in a guy that is set to be a free agent, whether restricted or not, it's never a bad idea. Um, if there's interest to have him in house and to get acclimated and to show him how you're going to utilize him to show him that he's wanted, uh, you're kind of getting an early jump on the, uh, the, the pitch in the summer by, by bringing him in now. Um, so, I mean, if he's, if he's here and he's playing consistently and he's playing well, he likes his teammates, uh, that helps you out in the off season when it's, when it's time to sign him. And also, and I don't know if this was their thinking, I haven't talked to anybody about this, but what if Bagley goes somewhere else at the deadline? What if it's Oklahoma city and he meets the criteria for starter minutes or, uh, game started and, the the price tag is a little weirder like uh, the pistons are controlling the situation now by adding him now yeah no i i agree with you 100 percent. i just i saw that and again like uh, i'm not trying to critique john hollinger by any means he knows way more about this than i could ever imagine i just you know it was something i also disagreed with and so i, I was curious to get your opinion as well let's move into jeremy grant okay i i thought pistons twitter was going to explode james and, and again i guess this is like a whatever subtle flex or humble brag or something i don't know but you know i, I get the opportunity to talk to you and you've kind of been able to tell me like you know, I've asked you what the chances were and you've given me a number. And so I think my perspective was a little bit more in line with what ended up happening. Why ultimately did Jeremy Grant not get traded? Yeah, Troy had a price. The price wasn't met. And I mean, even I've had to learn this just being around an organization. And if you're if you're a GM and you have something that people want, like you set the price, you don't let other people set the price for you. Um, they were in no rush to trade Jeremy. So Troy had the the leverage. He he's the he's by making it clear or making it known that he it, which isn't the case, but just using this as an example. If he had made it known that Jeremy is gone or they they want Jeremy to go, he loses the leverage, right? So um, there's it minimizes what he can ask for when it's when they're in no rush to trade Jeremy when they like Jeremy, um, they keep all the leverage. So like I said, there's patience. They didn't get what they wanted uh, to consider trading Jeremy, so they they go into the summer with um, they go to the end, the rest of the season with Jeremy and can revisit in the summer if somebody meets whatever the asking price is at that time. Uh, but as for this deadline, the teams offered, teams called. Troy had a price; it wasn't met, and they decided to keep Jeremy. So what what were what were some of the teams like you see all these reports? I mean, I feel like there was like every team was reported. Are there any teams, you know, that like were truly, you know, invested, you know, teams that were really there that really liked Jeremy? Was there anything that came out like, man, it was really close or did anybody really get that close to meeting what Troy Weaver wanted? Um, I don't think anybody got super duper close. Um from my understanding, but I mean, yeah, Portland, I think Brooklyn, po- like I mentioned, Brooklyn poked around, um, Washington, I'm trying to think, uh, Sacramento, there were discussions, uh, but nobody, yeah, no, I don't think there was anything that, like, I don't think there was a, they, the Pistons backed out at the last second type deal. Like, I think there were, they answered calls, teams knew what the price would be, teams tried to talk maybe Troy down, Troy didn't budge. And here we are. Jeremy's still on the team. 
Yeah, and, and I want to get into this Troy Weaver thing in just a second because I, I think we he showed this deadline, like maybe he's not the quote-unquote gunslinger or whatever you want to call it, that maybe the rep he got, like he held to his his cards and you know made calculated decisions. We'll get to that in a second. I want to ask about just Jeremy Grant. I, I don't mind Jeremy Grant. I do think he's tried to adjust his game a little bit from what we saw earlier in the season, and we mm-hmm. haven't seen him and Kate a ton yet. We saw him on Friday night together finally, and I haven't even got to watch that game yet. But – is there a world where like maybe this works better than what people think and Jeremy maybe plays his way into a role that ends up sticking long term with the Pistons? Like, is that a possibility, do you think? Yeah, like, I don't think it's impossible. I think when you as you know, Bryce, like when you peruse Twitter, people are like Jeremy is best at what he the role he did in Denver. And sure, agreed. But like, what if the Pistons who are potentially lining up for another top three pick? get a guy who's ready to go. What if Jabari Smith is legit and you pair him with Cade? What if Jaden Ivey is legit and you pair him with Cade? Well, there's two guys right there and everybody's talking about Jeremy's more of a third guy. Well, Jeremy would be the third guy then. Um, and he's a good basketball player. So, I mean, depend. and then there's also free agency. What if the Pistons land Jalen Brunson or or something like that. Like that, then Jeremy's fit is a little bit more defined, and he's better in the role that he's in. It's closer to a Denver role, so I think a lot of it dictates on like what happens this summer, where they pick, what what free agents uh, they are able to attract and, and acquire. But there's certainly a world. Like I think everybody, there are people who are turning on Jeremy, as you know. But I think most of those people would agree that Jeremy on a good team is third fourth option and it's possible that that happens in Detroit if a few things go right over the next six months so at the end of the day he's a good basketball player Um, I don't think anybody questions that I think it's more so people's beef is with him um, playing up the pecking order which if I were Jeremy Grant and I'm looking at the roster around me I would think the same thing you know Um, it's it's not the, the outside of K there's are we sure anybody else has better scoring ability than Jeremy? I don't think we are. Uh, Sadiq has shown stuff, but Sadiq has been up and down at times this year. Like I I wouldn't say he's clear cut ahead of Jeremy in the pecking order. Um, I know obviously why fans want him to be. He's younger and he's a homegrown talent. I get that. But I wouldn't say at this point in time that's like clear cut. So yeah, I think there is a world in which Jeremy in the next six months is – third or third or fourth on the Pistons pecking order and that's perfect and that's the best utilization of Jeremy Graham I'm not saying that that will happen but there's certainly a possibility yeah I thought about that the other day I'm like like you said like let's say they get Jaden Ivey maybe that's who they ended up with like all of a sudden people fit into the spot you know the lineup like pretty nice like that all works together if if it ended up being a top three guy like maybe it gets a little clunky with you know, guys that need to play the four. But like you said, there, there's a real world to me where Jeremy Grant stays on the Pistons in the role that everybody wants Jeremy Grant to play on the Pistons. Um, you know, then it would be, is he willing to play that role? Would he be happy in it? And then I think the real caveat for me, James, and maybe you can give us just a, a, a quick, you know, thought on this, and then we'll move on to Troy Weaver, is the contract. You know, it's been reported four for almost 120. I've seen four for 100, which I would be a lot more comfortable with. I mean, where do you think that that could land? Well, I think the max he can sign is four for 112. Like, I can't. That's his That's his current max deal. Are, are there teams out there who might be willing to pay that? I'm sure there are. Uh, will Detroit? I would be surprised. 
if they went to Ford for 120, just because I know how much they're valuing um, having cap space these next two years and flexibility. However, is there a world in which, like, uh, has been reported, Jeremy likes Detroit, Detroit likes Jeremy? Is there a world where they get him for cheaper than that, and it makes a little bit more sense for Detroit to to tie him up long term if it's four for eighty six or something like that, or or something like like I don't know, uh, just just spitballing here, but I think there is a world in which the extent if if he's extended in Detroit, it's not necessarily for the max. I, I don't think that's out of the question. And I think what listeners have to remember too, and I, I kind of looked this up the other day as I was talking about this, was the cap is supposed to explode here over the next few years, right? Like yeah. because of a new TV deal that's coming. So some of these contracts and numbers that are like, oh, $20 million a year, like that's that's going to be a really reasonable contract in two or three years from now if the cap jumps the way that they're talking about. I want to ask one final question on the Pistons, and then I do want to get some of your thoughts on the NBA trade deadline as a whole, give you a chance to talk about some teams outside of Detroit. But, you know, I mentioned Troy Weaver in terms of, like, he made all these moves, right? The first 12 months he essentially, you know, turned over the entire roster. I felt like he showed some really good restraints, just as an outsider, restraint here at the the trade deadline, like, this is the guy I want. He, it sounds like he pinpointed Marvin Bagley III, didn't give up too much for him, brought him to Detroit. He put a mark on Jeremy Grant. He said, if I don't get this, we're going to hold on to him. Like, I like that as a fan. Like, I almost got nervous. Like, is this guy just going to constantly be recycling players, which I know some <laughs> fans may actually like. Yeah. But what, what, what is your takeaway after 12 months of just transactions? It was a relatively quiet trade deadline for Troy Weaver. Yeah, um, I expected this deadline to be quiet. Um, I think the biggest thing is when he first came in here and and did all the trades, like that was to get guys that he, now that he runs the show, guys that he's kind of liked from afar, saw some some interesting things in from afar, and now that it's his show, he went out and got him and built the roster his way. Um, I think if anybody was a GM and they have a chance to, for the first time to put together a team their way, um, whether or not it's destined to to win or not, I think e- even just getting guys that you m- always maybe had one eye on or one finger on and not necessarily haven't been able to pull the trigger because you're not running the show. Like, I think that's where you saw it. Like, it was a guy who's finally running the show, has been an assistant GM forever. He's like, well, if we're going to go through this rebuild, let me get some guys in here that I think could maybe show some stuff. And I think that was part of it. And now – and. Bryce, we've talked about it on in our conversations, and I've written about it a bunch. Like we've talked about it a bunch, the draft, the draft is the focus in Detroit. Um, this is this is how franchises like this come rise from out the mud. The reason Detroit, well, it's not the only reason they've they've drafted bad over the last decade. They picked in the sevens through twelves and just picked the wrong guys. But you tend to get better players when you're picking one through three. And Detroit has positioned themselves for the second straight year to pick one through three to get a very good talent. Um, and that's just the best way to build this thing going forward. Young, talented players that are cheap until you can build out the rest of your roster and see who's staying. And I think there's a patience there that um, I think there's I think it's twofold. There's a patience there that fans aren't used to. And I think it also, and in turn, that leads to some confusion because I think there are people who are, I always say this, and um, 
<laughs> people always yell at me, stop talking down to fans when I say this, but it's just, I don't know how it's considered talking down to fans. I'm, the You cannot dock Troy and this current staff for what the previous regimes did, didn't do. So because the Pistons have been bad for the last decade by not rebuilding the right way, that doesn't mean that the new guys shouldn't come in and try to rebuild it the right way. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that you've been sitting through losing basketball for a decade, but that doesn't mean that necessarily the way that they're doing it isn't the best case to go. It is the best case to go. Just nobody did it before him. Uh, They just lost by injuries and bad signings and bad drafting. Now they're doing it, quote unquote, the right way, building through the draft, adding talented, talented pieces. You see Cade, you see Sadiq. They're going to get another one this year. And like, I get it. I I totally understand why fran- fans are don't want this to last forever. You you're a fan because you want to see your team win. You want to support your team. You want to have a reason to go play. But from a front office perspective, and I can tell you as somebody who's in the arena every day, the seats aren't as empty as they used to be. Like people are going to these games. Like I think the Pistons are are have made a significant leap in in revenue and stuff this season. Um, and Cade is a big fa- a big 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 part of that. So you had another. Cade level potential player in terms of just the interest coming into the draft, like then you're setting yourself up for success for, for a healthy foundation. And I think again, totally understand it's totally sympathize with fans. Like just, it's tough to sit through a bunch of losing seasons, but I don't think Troy and them, the fact that they're showing patience when others didn't, doesn't mean that this needs to be sped up. It, it means that they're doing it the right way. No, I agree. And I can, so as a fan, I can understand the impatience. Like I I got way too excited for this season and how much success the Pistons could have. Like people can go listen to previous podcasts, pull out the receipts and and I get it. But then I think I reevaluated my expectations and what the team was. And like, I still, I, I know it's not always good basketball, but I still enjoy watching this team play. Like you brought up, they have Cade Cunningham. And even when he doesn't play, you have Sadiq Bey. I enjoy like lo- watching and seeing Killian Hayes' improvement or lack thereof. Or, you know, does he have a good night or does he have a bad night? Same thing. We, you and I talk about Isaiah Stewart all the time and, yeah. and, you know, watching for those things. You have Bagley the third. And then, like you said, like I have talked about this. You've mentioned a couple times now. This offseason is big, especially with the draft. Like I do think there's some pressure on the front office to get this pick correct, you know, moving into next year. Um, but it, it is hard to have patience, but I still think there's, I don't know, there's still something intriguing to me. It's almost like everybody was excited about last year and then it's all wore off. And I'm like, a lot of those pieces are still here. Plus Cade Cunningham. I, I don't know. I still don't mind watching them. I still get excited every game that they're going to, every day they're going to play. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who's covered this team for five years, like I, I, I find far it's far more interesting to go into to work every day with this team than than previous teams. You just you just know whether or not it works or not. We again, people are have a right to be excited. We don't know if it's actually going to work. And I'm not defending. I'm not saying when I defend the process that they're doing to get there. I'm I agree with the process. I'm not saying I'm not telling you it's going to work. Uh, but I I like the process. Uh, the, the if it's going to work or not depends on who they draft what free agents they're able to get in. Like we're, we're still some time away from knowing if the process worked, but I, I do think this is the right process to take. Yes, I agree. All right, let's move off the Pistons for, you know, 10 minutes here. 
I want to first ask you, so big picture trade deadline. And for the listeners, we're going to really get into the weeds with Key Smith on Wednesday morning. So come back for that one. But I did want to give James a chance just to talk because I know he follow, you know, he's a big basketball and NBA fan in general. So I wanted to get his thoughts. What was your favorite trade that happened on Thursday? Ooh, I love Cleveland getting Levert. I, I think that was a type of piece they needed. Um, he's from Ohio. They needed a a scoring guard. Uh, I like that Cleveland has one kind of weathered the are they for real? Are they for real for a few months and like are legitimately as we're recording the number two seed and they made a move to go for it. Like I like that. I I, I like what Cleveland has built. Um, they've stumbled into some things, but hey, it takes a little bit of luck uh, to to win in this league. And adding Karras, I think, was a good piece, especially with Sexton out. And uh, I like. Pro, the pro, I like honestly I like Levert more than Sexton so they could let Sexton go. Um, I like I like that addition just for a team that that sees a window and is and is jumping for it. All right, so you took the words right. You and I have had this conversation about Colin Sexton before, and I wanted to be able to tie all these into the Pistons. So that immediately, you know, it sounds like Sexton's got to be on his way out. Like, you know, I know he's a restricted free agent, but it would seem he doesn't necessarily have a role with them. I mean, maybe, but. You and I have talked about this. I, I won't speak for you, but do you think the Pistons should or could have interest in Colin Sexton in free agency? I mean, if the price is right, sure. Like, I don't—he's not a a bad NBA player, but I don't think they're gonna. I'd be surprised if they backed up the truck for Colin Sexton. I'll say that. Okay, the trade that surprised you the most. The player, Halliburton getting traded surprised <laughs> me. Yes. Not necessarily the trade. Um, but I will say the Wizards and Mavs, uh, I still don't really understand why the Mavs did that. I still like now they, I, I just think when you get into the playoffs, like you just going to need, like, even if Porzingis isn't what he was, but like, they don't have any front court defensive, like fear, like who's afraid of anybody in that front court in Dallas now, like defensively. Uh, and maybe nobody was afraid of Porzingis, but at least Porzingis can disrupt stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't, I didn't understand that from Dallas's perspective, but, uh, that was, I, and I also just didn't, yeah, that was just a shocking trade. I, it kind of came out of left field. Let, well, I would, I do want to come back to Halliburton in that trade, but again, I, I like to do our little Pistons ties here with the, the, the Dallas and the Washington trade, Jalen Brunson, you brought him up earlier. He's been talked a lot about with Pistons fans. Some would be excited about that. Some not so much. You know, maybe there's no correlation. Maybe I'm stretching it here a little bit, but Spencer Dinwiddie did come to Dallas in that trade. Is there a chance maybe that makes it a little more likely that Dallas would not match an offer for Jalen Brunson if, say, a team like the Pistons gave him an offer sheet? Well, that was my thinking on why Dallas added Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, my first thought was, like, well, do they know Brunson's not coming back? Uh, do, or do they know they're not going to go to where Brunson might want the money to go and another team meets it? That's just my first initial thought. Uh, so I think it's definitely possible. I know there is uh, – I, I fully assume and predict that the Pistons will go after Jalen Brunson in some capacity this summer. Whether or not they get him, that's a different story. But I do think Brunson is somebody of interest for the organization. And maybe that – like you said, maybe that was a way for – Dallas to kind of plug, plug and play, try to just figure it out now um, in the in the short term. And then in the long term, maybe it sorts itself out a little bit more and it looks it maybe makes a little bit more sense from their perspective. 
Okay, I want to get to the Halliburton trade because I'm with you. Like, that was about the only non-Pistons one I tweeted about because they were coming so fast. I was like overwhelmed anyway. But like, (laughs) I did not expect Tyrese Halliburton to get traded. But here's my question. Like, was that really as lopsided as... Like, I feel like the overreaction was to like, holy cow, we did not expect Tyrese Halliburton to get traded. Yeah. Demonis Sabonis isn't a bad player and... He's the best player in that trade. And he's a better fit, right? Like yeah. whether, like uh, you can argue that the king, maybe the kings aren't in fit mode. Fine, yeah. but at the end of the day, he probably does more for De'Aaron Fox than what Halliburton does. And they have Davion Mitchell, who doesn't suck. Like he's a good defender, has been uh, had a good rookie year. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying like the value wasn't crazy bad, right? Yeah, no, I think, or at least for me, my overreaction. I think I tweeted the Kings traded who. Like that, it was just a shock of Halliburton being traded. They, the Kings got the best player in the deal, DeMontis Sabonis, um, who I think could fit well with De'Aaron Fox. Uh, they obviously, they obviously are trying to end a long playoff drought. Um, so the mandate is very, is eerily similar to, uh, just the Pistons of a few years ago. Like they're just trying to get into the playoffs. And I think, DeMontis gives them a better chance to do that. Now, my other my beef with the trade was I just don't know that the ceiling is that much higher, if higher at all, with Sabonis rather than Halliburton. Um, like I said, I I think naturally that Kings team will be better, but is that Kings team going to go win a series? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm not again, I'm not saying I would have made the move. And I can't believe they traded Halliburton. I get it. But I'm just saying, like, you did get a 25-year-old, I believe is what Sabonis is, um, on a decent contract. You know, like, he's only, he only makes $18.5 So it's not like – it wasn't just insane in terms of what they got back. Was it the smart move? Maybe not. But just in terms of value, I didn't think it was yeah, crazy. Yeah, you got you to trade good stuff to get good stuff. Yep. Um, I, I was just shocked that Halliburton was traded in. Tie it back to the Pistons. People might not remember this or they forget. Uh, Troy drafted Sabonis in OKC. Oh, okay. I did not remember that. So interesting. That that was one of his guys. Okay. So final one here. Let's talk about the Portland Trailblazers who, I I mean, unless I'm mistaken, were the most active team at the deadline. A little Pistons tie here with Jeremy Grant. You know, I'm not the only one that said this, but uh, other people. Plenty of people have said it, but to me, it almost made more sense for the Blazers not to be in on Grant at the deadline because I feel like they want to lose as many games as possible the rest of the season and then build it back up in the offseason, maybe trade for Jeremy Grant then if they really do have interest. But what, do you think? Do you agree with that, James, and then the Blazers overall, what they did at the deadline? Yes, I think, th- I think that is their – they are not going to – like they're not rebuilding. They're retooling. They are going to just punt on this season because Dame is out. Um, clearly, the Dame-CJ thing didn't work. They punted on that, and they're just going to be bad the rest of the year and draft and figure out where to go from there, and then they're going to go. They're going to be active in free agency and on the trade market. The Portland Trailblazers, you can book it now, assuming Dame has an injury that's out for two years, are going to try to be good again next year. Um, this isn't a Detroit Pistons situation. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, like they had a lot of like, what are they doing? Like, I don't think they necessarily got good value for Norm Powell and Robert Covington, even though Covington has not had a good year. I still just don't think they got the proper value for those two. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, they're going to be having a lot of cap space. They still have Dame Lillard. Um, guys will likely want to play with Dame Lillard. Um, they have, yeah, they, they're in a good position to retool and and come back next year with an interesting team and a, I would say a better built team too. Okay, very last pre- question. I promise. Who won the Sixers Nets deal? The Nets. I like the Nets. I I will say if they play in a series, they're going to have a tough time stopping Embiid, and it's going to be on the it's going to be on the yeah Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Marcus Aldridge's Patty, Patty Mills to hit shots because they're going to struggle guarding Embiid with that team. Uh, but I think Simmons and KD are a good pairing. Uh, we've talked about for we, when the Nets were being built, we were all joking about defense. Well, they went and got one of the best defenders in the NBA. Uh, they got a star that can that'll defer that has no issue deferring as we know but he's deferring to arguably the greatest forward to play the game um their greatest scoring forward to ever play the game and they are adding Ben Simmons to a team that doesn't necessarily need uh him to be the number 2 scoring option they have Kyrie as well assuming uh well assuming uh <laughs> they have him for road games if they get yeah. to the finals yeah uh but yeah it's a good fit they address the need um I think they got like the perfect kind of glue star. Like we talk about Draymond, the perfect glue star. I think Ben has the potential to be that with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Harden and Bede, do you like the fit or you think it could be wonky? I like the fit because I think it's just going to be entertaining as hell. Uh, But I also think Harden is going to have to adjust his game a little bit. I think he's shown, I know people might say otherwise, but I think he's been able to like adjust his game depending on who's around him. Uh, I don't really think the pick and rolls with Embiid are going to be a main factor. And I think Harden is going to have to, if I were, I mean, I think Harden's going to have to defer to Embiid. Embiid's arguably one of the best. I mean, he's not arguably, he is one of the best players in the league. He's arguably the MVP. Harden's going to maybe for the first time, well, I guess he deferred to KD, but he's going to have to defer again. I think it's Embiid's team. I think they're going to still be at their best running through Embiid. Um, I like it. It's better than not having it's better than having a vacant hole there uh, in their roster. You're adding one of the best scorers of all time. So I I like it for them too, but I just think Brooklyn uh, hit a couple birds with one stone on, on, on that deal. Yeah. And like somebody, everybody said like great players find a way James Harden will figure it out. He's not necessarily my favorite player in the league, but he is a a great player and they'll figure it out. But that's, those games are going to be miserable to watch James because that's going to be a parade to the free throw line with those two guys. (laughs) Yeah, it really will be. Yeah, Philly might lead the league, and if they don't lead the league in free throws now, they they might by the end of the year. No doubt, no doubt. James, man, this was a blast. Um, thank you so much. I, I got to let you go. Um, but thank you for joining us, and just give a chance to everybody to find you. If I'm sure they already are, but on Twitter, the content you put out and the podcast you do. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. Um, always fun chatting with you. Uh, the I'm on Twitter at JL Edwards III. Uh, go to The Athletic. Uh, under the Pistons tab, that's me. Um, yeah, Bun and Cardigan Show podcast on the Athletic app, on Apple, on Spotify, all that good stuff. Yes, make sure you check that out. I believe dropping Monday morning. I think you have an all mailbag episode, right? I do. I'm, I'm flying solo on uh, Valentine's Day. Nick, Nick, Nick had a date apparently. Uh, big time, big man. That's crazy. He picked, he picked the date over recording, man. Man, he's Nick's got to get his priorities in order. He moves to LA and doesn't know how to act. <laughs> Well done. As always, I want to thank Wes Davenport for everything he does for me and Motor City Hoops. He has truly made a major impact on our growth. 
I also want to thank all of you for listening to and supporting Motor City Hoops and all the content we're producing. Again, I want to remind you to check back Wednesday morning for our episode with Keith Smith, contributor at SpotTrack, Celtics blog, and the front office show, where we break down all the moves made at the deadline and make a major announcement about the future of Motor City Hoops podcast. Thank you, go Pistons, and talk to you soon. Thank you.